0: This is Brother Jim Ellis. I want to once again thank you for tuning in to our podcast and Dispensational Ministries. Welcome to Volume 1 of what will more than likely become three or four audio messages concerning what is a fundamentalist or fundamentalism defined. In our introduction to Dispensational Ministries, we are identified ourselves as a Fundamental Christian ministry. In this message, and some messages to come, I want to be able to define what being a fundamentalist is or what fundamentalism is. Fundamentalism is simply the belief in some basic fundamental doctrines contained in the Bible, the Word of God. There are some very basic doctrines that are taught in the Bible that true fundamentalists believe and preach and teach, and that belief is what makes them fundamentalist. While many may disagree on some fine points of Scripture, there is a systematic list of Bible doctrines that fundamentalists agree upon and are most passionate about. When one is said to be a fundamentalist, for my truthful and accurate use of the word, they're expressing their faith in a specific set of Bible doctrines and belief. Fundamentalism is not a recent system of faith and practice peculiar to our modern period of time. God has always had down through the last 2,000 years of church history. He has had his people who believed and taught these fundamentals of the faith. They've not always been called by the same name or identified in the same group of believers. But throughout the centuries, there have always been men and women who have believed these basic biblical fundamental doctrines that have been devised from a systematic study of the Bible. A Bible doctrine is a single or specific body of truth that's taught in the Scriptures concerning a particular subject. For the purpose of this study, I'd like to list these fundamental doctrines in a systematic order. The first and foremost fundamental tenet in fundamentalism is the belief that all 66 books of the Bible are verbally inspired of God and sovereignly preserved by Him without error or omission. We believe that God gave His divine Word to mankind by way of inspiration. That simply means that God the Holy Spirit moved men to write the words of the Bible and that the words in the Bible came from God. They are not the words of men. They are, in fact, the words of God. God used the distinct personalities and vocabularies of these men, but nonetheless, the words that they penned are the words of God. There are 66 individual books or epistles that go together to make up the Bible as a whole. There are some 40 authors which God used to give us the Bible. It was written between 1600 to 2000, or over a period of 1600 to 2000 years, depending on when Moses was actually born. He is the first writer of the first five books of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He said in first Peter chapter one, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. As we said, God used the distinct personalities of each of these 40 authors of the Bible to pin the words of the, of, the, of the Bible. The words of the Bible are God's word. Yet he used these individual personalities and vocabularies of each writer to convey his truth. God has preserved his words over the ages. He did not entrust that preservation to men. He has divinely kept his word pure and free from all error and mistakes and omissions. Fundamentalism sincerely believes that the Bible contains no mistakes whatsoever. We most fervently believe that every word of God is pure and clean and preserved by the God who gave His word in the beginning. Dispensational Ministries is based on this Bible fact. Our faith and practice is embedded in the firm belief that all 66 books of the Bible are the inspired and preserved words of God. Our entire system of belief is grounded in this conviction. Everything we hold dear as divine truth hinges on the absolute validity of 2 Timothy 3.16 that we just read, that all Scripture is inspired of God. Everything we hold dear as divine truth about God about eternity, about eternal life, about creation, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning salvation, concerning forgiveness of sin in heaven, and hundreds of other revealed matters of divine truth. All had their foundation in the belief that all 66 books of the Bible are the divine revelations of God. The doctrine of a completed Bible The fact that the Bible as we have it today is God's final divine word to all of mankind is indispensable to the formation of hundreds of other invaluable biblical truth. According to the scriptures themselves, without the word of God and without the completed word of God, there could be no Christian faith. If the Bible is not the inspired, preserved, without error, word and authority of God, then there cannot be and would not be a Christian faith. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Every fundamental Christian holds dear and every belief that we hold dear, those beliefs emanates from the Bible as the inspired word. Men who err from this vital truth always wind up Producing a contrived era of vain imaginations of convoluted false doctrine, we must begin our faith with the unmistakable truth that all sixty-six books of the Bible are the inspired word of God. We believe uh, believe this without apology, and we believe that all men and women are commanded to order their lives according to the truth of the Word of God. We believe that God not only gave His Word, that He put it all together in one finalized book that contains the 66 individual books that were progressively given by God Himself. We believe the Bible as we have it today is the inspired canon of Scripture given and preserved by God who gave it. Canon or the canonization of the Bible simply means that God finished giving His completed revelation to mankind. He oversaw the final compiling of His Word into one completed book. That finished compiling is known as the canonization of the Bible. It is commonly, commonly taught by some supposed theologians, that the canonization of the Bible was not completed until the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D., some almost 400 years after the birth of Christ. That is more than 300 years after the Apostle Paul died and after the last of the New Testament books were written. Many... His stories teach that no one truly had a completed book until the final 27 books of the New Testament were officially recognized by the ruling church of that time. When I first heard this teaching early in my life as a new Christian, even back then it did not make good sense to me. The thought came to me that since dozens and dozens of Bible Doctrines and blocks of truth depend on the fact that we have a completed Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, what did men and women do before it was canonized, before it was put together as one? Are we to believe that it was not until some 300 plus years after all the books were written that it was finally compiled together as one book? I recognized that even in my early years that there were some serious, serious problems with this teaching. Eventually, after attending Bible college and two separate advanced seminaries, I began my own personal research in the validity of this claim. The following is what I most fervently have come to understand and believe as the truth behind the final canonization or completion of all 66 books of the Bible and put together as one. The history of these matters has been severely convoluted and distorted by the religious pre- uh, prejudice and predispositions of those who have passed this tradition down through time. I have for a long time been a student of history. In years past, I have tried to read almost everything I could get my hands on about history, the history not only in my country, but the history of the world. The one primary thing that has stood out to me is that the historical accounts that have been passed down to us are all tainted by the worldview and often political and religious prejudices of the men who wrote the historical accounts that we have today. In other words, the historical accounts that we have today are at best tainted by the perceptions and predispositions and partisanships of those who wrote those accounts. One person may witness an event and come away with a completely different viewpoint and account of what actually happened. And it may be completely different from another person's viewpoint and perception of what actually occurred. History and historical accounts as we know them today should always be considered by the perceptions of those who recorded those accounts. The further back one goes into the study of history, the more inaccurate the accounts we have of that time period will most certainly be. Church history is no different. Most of what we have today concerning the first 1,400 years of church history have been severely tainted by the prejudices of the ruling apostate church of that time. The only honest and trustworthy and inspired accounts that we have, which can be trusted beyond any doubt, are the accounts of the Bible. Most everything else is suspect at best, and in many cases, completely fictional. As is the history, I believe, concerning the canonization of the 66 books of the Bible. Consider the following. The men who supposedly canonized the Bible in 397 A.D. were all men who were bound to the ruling and corrupt apostate religious organization that held power at the time of this council. The history that we have received from those times is slanted and designed to portray that ruling church, the ruling church of that time, in a good light. Claiming it was responsible for the canonization of the Bible gives credence to their supposed authority and legitimacy. The ruling church in that time period had long forsaken the fundamental doctrines of the Word of God. It had apostatized the truth of eternal life by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It had adopted dozens of pagan religious traditions and doctrines and allowed those pagan doctrines to be brought into the Christian church. Many pagan beliefs, traditions, doctrines, and even pagan deities have been allowed to become part of the religious dogma of that ruling church. They changed many of their pagan names, gave them names which would sound acceptable to Christians and passed them off as tenets of the Christian faith. The men who sat on that council were all men who were who willingly participated in this apostasizing in order to gain and maintain their places of power and prominence, and not only the church, but also inside the ruling empire at that time. Well, now we are supposed to accept as historical fact that these religiously corrupt and spiritually bankrupt men had the ability to discern which books were inspired and which were not. We are supposed to trust men who willingly endorse pagan beliefs, traditions, and doctrines and pass them off as Christian doctrines. We are supposed to trust that they were able to determine, I suppose by some magical means, which epistles were inspired epistles and gather those epistles in the one book. Those apostate men had long before 397 A.D. forsaken and corrupted the truth taught inside the book that they are supposed to be trusted to decide which of the many epistles of the day were inspired and which were not. The truth is, as we will see, the entire canon of the Bible had long before 397 A.D. been completed, canonized, and compiled. All 66 books of the Bible had been confirmed as the inspired authority of God on this earth before the men who sat on that council had been born. If these men did anything, it was accept or recognize what had been present for some 300 years before they had breathed their first breath. But along, and keep in mind with their acceptance, they also recognized dozens of other supposed spiritual writings that were separate from the 66 books. They did not go so far as to say that those other writings were inspired, but they did recognize them to be legitimate spiritual books. That alone should give us pause for concern. Why is the canonization and the date of the canonization of the Word of God important? Why is it important that we understand when the Bible was compiled and completed as one book? There are perhaps a whole host of reasons. Most of those reasons are too lengthy to cover here, but I'll give you just one. There's a form of doctrine being taught and accepted in many churches in the United States of America which says that saving faith Forgiveness of sin is possible apart from the Word of God. They teach that the church was, was without a New Testament Bible for some 400 years, yet people came to Christ according to this vein of teaching. Therefore, they say, we do not need a Bible in order to have faith, and as they call it, come to Christ. The Jesus being preached from this religious doctrine is a historical Jesus and not the Jesus who is revealed in very much detail in the Bible. Their historical Jesus can and often is anyone a person chooses for him to be. The historical Jesus these people are preaching may or may not be and most often is not the Jesus of the Bible. He is another Jesus that cannot and will not grant eternal life to the repentant sinner. The Jesus of the Bible is a distinct Jesus who has specific and precise doctrines attributed to him. The greatest of those doctrines, and we will cover in more detail later in this study, but it is his preexistent deity and his atoning sin payment for our sins as the God of heaven. Paul continually warned about these another Jesuses. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, But I fear, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. The word bear there means to tolerate or to put up or to fall prey to someone. He was concerned that there would come in people who would preach another Jesus, someone who carries the name of Jesus, but is not the actual Jesus of the Bible. He said in Galatians 1.3, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Of course, the gospel that Paul preached Centered in and around the pre-existent Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, who came to earth, died for our sins, was resurrected from the grave, and ascended back into heaven where he is now on the right hand side of God the Father. The gospel of Jesus Christ concerns the fact that he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the grave. We will conclude this portion of this study here to make this study somewhat of a reasonable length and pick it up in our next podcast, volume number two under fundamentalism or what is fundamentalism.